Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 95, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, I'm so happy we're in the bit of history that I can use Hamilton. So happy. Benjamin Franklin is the first of the Founding Fathers that we will deal with. Although he was of an older generation to the others. Mike Duncan, in his Revolutions series, refers to Franklin as America's founding grandfather. And I think this is a brilliant nickname, so I'm going to unashamedly steal it. Sealing with pride has always been my motto. I'm also I invented, no less. Benjamin Franklin was born in January 1706, the son of Josiah Franklin and Abiah Folger in Boston. Josiah left England for religious reasons in 1683, while Abiah was a descendant of the earliest settlers of New England. Benjamin has little to say of his mother, but was full of admiration for his father. Benjamin was Josiah's youngest son. He had 17 children in total, seven with the first wife, and then ten with a buyer. He was 50 when Benjamin was born. He pushed each of his older children into a trade, but could see that Benjamin was talented and sent him to school when he was eight, although a year was all that Josiah could afford. Benjamin studied for a second year, learning writing and arithmetic before, at the age of ten, it was time to work. Not that the young Benjamin wanted this. Born in Boston, his mind was dominated by the sea, but instead he followed in his father's footsteps and did two years in an apprenticeship for tallow chandling, making candles out of animal fat. Benjamin hated this and convinced his father to let him be an apprentice for his older half-brother, James, who was a printer. Benjamin Franklin spent the next few years reading everything he could get his hands on. Some of his early favourites were Pilgrim's Progress and Plutarch's Lives of Famous Greeks and Romans. He started to teach himself languages. Eventually, he would speak French, Italian, Spanish and Latin, as well as developing an interest in the natural sciences. He began to publish through his 
brother's paper anonymously, but he quarrelled with his older brother James. Eventually, he fled. Franklin ran away to New York, but was unable to find work, so he moved further down the coast, and arrived in Philadelphia in October 1723. He was 17 years old, and he recalled that he had nothing other than a Dutch dollar and a shilling of copper. It was a new, young, and thriving city, and it was the perfect place for Franklin to have a fresh start. Franklin quickly found work in a printing shop. After having a solitary life in New York, where his only friends were books, he was suddenly a member of the literary scene. He caught the attention of Sir William Keith, the governor of Pennsylvania, who told Franklin to return home in April to ask his father for money to open a print shop. While I'm sure Josiah would have been impressed that his son had become on good terms with the governor of Pennsylvania, he did not think his son was responsible enough to run a printing shop. Franklin returned to Philadelphia, where the governor promised to provide the capital and sent him to London to purchase stock and meet booksellers. He then reneged on his promise, and left Franklin stranded in London, with £12. Franklin had been reckless, but was determined to turn the mistake into a lesson. He'd become friendly with Quakers while in Philadelphia, and a Quaker merchant named Thomas Denham encouraged him to take a printer's job and start writing again. Franklin started to gain attention. Denham encouraged him to return to Philadelphia with the prospect of employment, but upon their return, Denham died, and Franklin returned to his former employer in the print house. He was determined, though, by now, to set up his own business. Philadelphia was full of merchants with capital, and through friends and a notable merchant, he was able to set up his own printing house. Within three years, he was able to buy out his partner, and in 1730, at the age of 24, he was the owner of his own business, which published the weekly Philadelphia Gazette. This same year, he married Deborah Reed, although Franklin was a womanizer and had several illegitimate children. Throughout the 1730s, Franklin's reputation continued to rise. He'd used his print house to advocate for the printing of paper currency in Philadelphia, and the government rewarded him by giving him the contract to print the money. Franklin told his friends that it was good for his business that he became a clerk of the General Assembly in 1736, as he would use the position to give himself the business of physically printing the laws. Insert politically motivated joke about conflicts of interest here. Franklin also gained public notoriety for the publication of Poor Richard's Almanac, which was written by Franklin under the pseudonym Richard Saunders, annually from 1733 into the 1750s. By 1748, at the age of 42, he was rich enough to retire. He created a partnership to run the print house, which would provide him with money, while he pursued his own interests. He threw himself into science, the most famous incident involving discovering that lightning was made of electricity. Franklin's reputation grew massively. He was awarded honorary degrees by both Harvard and Yale, as well as a Master's of Art from the College of William and Mary. 
These would soon be followed by Oxford and St Andrews in Britain. From this point onwards, it is appropriate to refer to him as Dr Franklin, a title he personally adored. These were the first two pillars of Dr Franklin's reputation. His international reputation as an electrical scientist and his domestic reputation as a journalist passed on his writings in the Philadelphia Gazette and Paul Richard's Almanac. From here, he was able to develop the third leg of the proverbial footstool that was his legacy, that of a public figure. That was a less neat analogy than I intended, but let's just roll with it. In the same year that he retired from his printing house, in 1748, he became a member of the Philadelphia Assembly. This was after years of good public works, such as his efforts to set up a fire service in Philadelphia. Around himself, he formed what I'd hesitate to call a political party, but what can reasonably be named a political faction, centred on himself. Dr Franklin's group opposed the Penn family, and wanted to take a more active role against the Indians that were conducting raids on the frontiers. The situation got to the point that Philadelphia wanted to send a deputation to London in order to have this issue with the proprietors of the colony resolved, and they were extremely fortunate to have Dr Franklin, a man who had respect back in Europe. He commanded authority that no one else in the Western Hemisphere could match. This is why, in 1757, Dr Franklin travelled to London, which is where I want to leave him. This is a huge moment in the story of America. It represents the colonies taking a step to secure their own interests. This will come back once we're done with the small matter of the Seven Years' War, which we're finally going to begin to get into next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if you want to find out more about the show or support it, you should probably check out our social media. The best place is Twitter, at HistoryJamie, and you can always send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.